Welcome to Bite Side. I'm Seamus Byrne. This is a show about tech, games, digital culture, and the way in which it makes our lives good, better, indifferent, meh, all those kinds of things. Joining me as always, Nick Healy. Nick, how are you? Oh, look, I'm firmly on the meh side today. No, no, everything's good. <laughs> um, uh, I, I'm well. It's been an interesting week if you are a gamer. Yes. So much going on. Um, so many uh, details. I mean, right, we started talking about Xbox last week uh, and then, like, we got the kind of the piling on of all the extra kind of Australian details and things. We got the, um, well, because when we were talking, it was kind of still in the, we'd just heard about Series S but we, we hadn't had heard pricing details. With no pricing details, we'd seen so the we design. Were we were having a massive guess, and I don't want to look back because I'm just going to assume we were great and that we just oh, assumed yeah. all Nailed of it. every single one. <laughs> um, but for anyone who might have been under uh, a rock the entire time, the pricing is and now for the Xbox Series X, that's the big beefy boy. It is a huge device to look at, but it's the one that's going to come with all the bells and whistles. Outright seven hundred and forty nine bucks. I don't think that was too far from what we were suggesting. Yep. And the Xbox Series S, and again, that design is absolutely beautiful. Four hundred and ninety nine bucks. Now our Australian pricing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think like they were definitely in the right ballpark. So I think I always kept trying to over egg it on my end so that I could be pleasantly surprised <laughs> uh, once we got the real prices. I feel like that Series S is such a good second TV device if you still want the kind of the full-fledged um, services off your big Xbox Series X. Though it kind of struck me during the week that I reckon some people might need to check those dimensions and measure up if you've actually got somewhere to put a Series X near your TV because this thing is designed in a way that means you really actually need to know you've got somewhere to put it. It is a big device, a really, really big device. Um, I'm just trying to see if I can find the specs easily. I can't off the top of my head, but I have seen them compared with each other. Here we go. It is 15 centimetres by 15 centimetres by 30 centimetres. So it's a foot tall. Just to be clear, yeah. a full foot tall. And that and it is has a, to stand upright. It has to stand upright. It's a big deal. It's, uh, you know, we've said this so many times about these devices over the years, you and I going back far longer than I want to remember it's got a lot of PC power in a console frame. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically what they've done. And it, then the second one is just slightly specced down and into a kind of smaller chassis and no disk drive and all that kind of jazz. I think the thing that has really stood out to me over the last week, which was the kind of pleasant surprise, I guess, is uh, Telstra-exclusive bundle mm. options where you can pay nothing up front. They've already been doing this. It's called Xbox All Access, You've been able to get it on, like, the current generation Xbox One consoles. When they launched that, I remember at the time thinking, you know, oh, it's a bit close to the next gen. Do I want to be locked into a two-year contract? I think it worked out that if you got one of those deals when they launched it, it would pretty much be up for renewal around now, which is <laughs> a rather perfect timing. Well played, Microsoft. Um, but... These deals are brilliant because you basically would pay $46 a month for the Xbox Series X or $33 a month for the Series S. But that price includes the like 
what, $16 a month for your Xbox Game Pass mm-hmm. Ultimate. And when you do the maths on that, basically you come out in front on these deals. The total minimum cost, 24 months on a Series X, is $1,104. So if you think of it as, what, $749, so basically you're paying $350 extra over two years, but you're getting that monthly subscription. Yeah, you're getting the subscription. You come out about 50 bucks in front on that one, I think. The Series S is a, is a much, like an even bigger bargain. You basically come out, um, I think about another hundred or so dollars in front on that. And just not having to pay anything except a subscription cost and getting that game pass, which means you get a hundred, you know, over a hundred games. That is now going to include EA Play as well, which got announced last week. So a bunch of EA games are going to be included in your subscription. That's a subscription that doesn't only work on your Xbox, but it'll work on your PC for Windows gaming. And that also now includes xCloud, which is the like game streaming service, which Telstra is no doubt going to want to push (laughs) a lot. Like It's actually a really, really cool deal. And you think at the other end of that two years, you might even decide you kind of like you get to keep the Xbox. It's not just some kind of higher purchase. So, yeah, amazing stuff. You and I have chatted a few times about this. This subscription model for devices like a console, it kind of makes sense. And it's weird that we've been doing it with mobile phones for so long but never considered it for something like this. Yeah, completely. And, you know, I think we kind of touched on it a little bit at one stage when the xCloud stuff was first appearing when it was like, oh, like this would be an interesting thing where you could subscribe to playing Xbox games without ever owning an Xbox. I mean, this feels like this kind of a tie-in for Telstra, I think, works so well on that kind of basis, knowing that over time, um, you know, they can really kind of start to demonstrate that capacity to you without having had to try to convince you um to sign up for it in the first place because mm. it's like hey you already get this you can why not try it out if it doesn't work all that well no you know no harm no foul um but the big thing for me is feeling like i feel like this is such a great signal of where you know this is such a, a thing of going this is such an adela's microsoft right like the idea of just saying you know what we are we can happily lose a little bit of money in the name of getting someone to now get comfortable with the idea that they pay us something every month, that they pay, you know, more than they used to, that obviously the old system was just Xbox Live Gold, which was kind of cheaper as an annual thing, but it was just to get access to playing online. That was it. That's all you got. I know. And now it's like, here, a few dollars more. And remember, they've done cool things like the $1 a month kind of upgrade deal to turn your Xbox Live Gold into a Game Pass Ultimate. Um, they just have so many incentives to kind of throw this at you, knowing that over the long term, people are just going to get so comfortable with this that, you know, at the end of your 24 months, they'll be like, so your fee now drops to like $16 a month because you now own the console. I mean, most people are going to be like, okay. oh, yeah, I know the value I've been getting out of this now. So, of course, I'll keep paying that because it's less than I was paying. <laughs> and it just becomes this thing where, yeah, it just works out so well for Microsoft over the long run. I'm, I think it's really, really good play. And look, you know, it has to be acknowledged you will find scenarios where a game you've been loving will, say, drop off 
your subscription account where you no longer have access to it. They are things that are just part of that. So, you know, you don't own the games that are available yeah. to you. They are there for as long as they want to be. And you, you will see them come in, in and out. But, you know, you mentioned, I think for a long time now, Microsoft has been going right through internally. It's been removing its siloed mentality. It's been working, getting divisions working together. Um, it is a very different company from the one I used to have to deal with when I was editing official Windows magazine. I can assure you of that. Uh, and it's amazing. And I think this is the kind of result they end up with it is clever and aggressive products like this. Yeah. And look, it kind of really struck me. I put it in the uh, newsletter column yesterday, just looking back on on that sort of phase where Steve Barmer kind of was such a just a sales guy who mm-hmm. loved selling boxes on shelves, you know, and Nadella came from the server background and that sort of cloud architecture kind of background. And it was actually within months of him having taken over as CEO in 2013 that Office 365, it used to only include 20 gigs of cloud storage on OneDrive. And you were paying like an annual subscription for the software, but Within months, he had made that one terabyte. And I feel like that was such an important moment to say, you should feel comfortable using our Microsoft stuff so that you can just be like, going, yep, I can be confident that there's going to be enough room in that for me to put stuff in it. Whereas 20 gigs, it was like, totally, you just didn't feel like you could rely on it as a place to leave your things because it was... So little that be like, well, pretty soon I'm going to run out of room and then I'll need to put stuff somewhere else. So I don't want to commit to that. Whereas I feel like he's just built that great way of saying, give them a bit more than they think they need so that they can feel like comfortable just using this and enjoying it. And I feel like over time, the idea of like Game Pass, I'm like, I would expect that that list of games will get longer and longer and become more like a bit of a Netflix kind of experience where, yeah, things kind of roll off and roll on again, but that they kind of see that long-term value in just making that list as exciting as possible. And that's it is, you know, I've not played a game on the Xbox for a while now that wasn't part of that subscription list. I've been really, really enjoying it. You know, we didn't say the date. Uh, The consoles are coming November 10, so we actually even know when they're coming Tomorrow, I think, I get a bit confused with the time zone, but I think tomorrow or maybe the day after our time, we start learning about the PS5. Yeah, so it is tomorrow, 6 a.m. Sydney time tomorrow. Wow. Um, what great timing for us to speculate point. wildly. That's going to be yes. really, yeah, that Nothing could go wrong. And look, it's funny. I think I some people noticed like little hints at because of course this week is also PAX Online happening mm. nonstop. I've tuned in for some sessions of that. It's been really interesting, really cleverly put together so that you would like watch the stream on Twitch, but then you kind of have to multi-screen it. But it works well to have you watching, and then you go to Discord and go to the Discord channel for the channel that you're watching on Twitch. And the people who are on the pre-recorded panel are in there chatting in real time about the discussion. So it kind of has a really good feel for how that works. But one of the things that was in the schedule was this like block for Sony apparently. And then it sort of disappeared and people, someone managed to spot it and went, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and indeed it's been confirmed that they're going to do a, uh, yep, a PlayStation 5 event tomorrow. But so much of me just feels like, you know, what do you, do you think they're going to like come in at 
$50 less than the Xbox or what? Well, I'm trying to remember. So when they priced it, and I think I'm, I'm trying, I might be remembering this wrong, but the Xbox One came in a hundred bucks above the PS4, didn't it? Or is that US pricing? It, I'm, I'm wondering if PlayStation and Xbox have learned a little bit and I don't know. I think we can expect it to be high end. But, of yep. course, they've got two models. They've got the digital edition with no disk drive. Uh, sorry, no um, uh, optical disk. So there will be a slightly cheaper version there. I, My gut says 749 for the full one, the full PS5. I think they're going to price it to compete directly. Yeah, look, I think it's, it's a good point because I also see that, um, you know, that they kind of know that, there's just so many limitations on supply chain and things right now that it's like, do you really, do you want to be the one that sells it out of, you know, the, the console at Christmas because you were supply constrained, you know, or do you just want to compete on selling the idea of what you have to offer? And if you, you know, if you run kind of pretty close to your supply volume, then you've, You've had a good season. I like. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see how they sort of try to play that balance, or whether they do try to sort of plant a flag and just go screw you, Microsoft. We <laughs> we are do this. we are already seeing rumors that Sony has been hit by supply issues already. That they've got millions less consoles ready to go than be, they'd been anticipating. They are fighting those rumors tooth oh, and wow. nail, but they've already been sneaking out here and there. And it's you know you've got to take that with a massive grain of salt. Um, but it feels, for the first time, I think, like PlayStation have to catch up here. Yeah, I think the strength particularly, on, like, because, again, right, PlayStation Plus to date has only really been, you know, your online play mm-hmm. kind of option. And a couple and of games some, a month. Yep. Yeah, just some free games each month. Um, but it's it's been that cumulative effect where, yep, over time you've been able to, you know, acquire free games through your, you know, plan. But it's it's a whole different experience to kind of seeing this library in front of you yeah. of quite fresh games and now having this kind of a subscription option and having that kind of really aggressively priced um, Series S, it's going to be fascinating to see exactly where their, their pricing lands. I'm still not sure about the PS5 design. I just I keep looking at it and I see the say the controller and I'm like that looks nice and then I see the console and I'm like and that doesn't there's just something <laughs> about it I don't enjoy um, to the point where I'm actually like maybe the Series X that black box is that nicer I can't tell anymore yeah. I don't know I know that these are no longer those friendly little things that are going to tuck in that shelf that someone once designed for a VHS and we've been using for everything else ever since. Yes. Uh, there will be some changes <laughs> around here. I just, I, the majority of games I really enjoy have been on PlayStation. And certainly for PlayStation, I think their um, exclusive games have been the one you'll go all out for. Like, you know, Spider-Man, you would have bought a console just to play that, in my view. That was a a near-perfect game. I'm not feeling it with the PS5, and I've owned every PlayStation, every iteration of one before, and I'm just not feeling it, and I can't tell you exactly why. It's just a gut that Maybe it's the design. Maybe it's just because I'm looking at what Xbox are doing. But for the first time ever, I'm not 
I don't. I just don't know how I feel about it. Look, it makes a lot of sense because you're right. Looking back on this past generation, the like for me, and again, I'm mostly a you know a PC gamer, but those games that have made me sit down and play something uh, on a console have been the games that have been on PlayStation. Mm-hmm. But in my brain, I'm like I, I kind of feel like I'm an Xbox gamer. I think because. <laughs> I'm a PC gamer. <laughs> I get but, that. But like those, you know, Ghost of Tsushima, oh. um, Horizon Zero Dawn, like the, they're the games I think, Last of Us, these are the games I think of as the great console games of this current generation. And, and like the others that sort of stand out for me on Xbox, it's more been a case of they're actually cross-platform games, but that's the platform that I've known friends play it on and so that's where i would play it with them things like destiny and stuff like that it's Hmm. it it's kind of and look i think for so many people that's actually the biggest incentive here is just what have my friends committed to because that's where you want to be in you know we can't rely on crossplay as much as we'd love to can't rely on it so if your core group of gaming buddies are all committed to one platform then you're not going to be the one person that decides to go the other way Interesting. Yeah, no, I, t- I take that. And look, look, the final piece of the puzzle with um, PlayStation 5, the PS5, A, it's got a much nicer name. It's going to be no, it, it is not going to be easy to confuse what generation you are using. Uh, Mark Serrell, shout out to his absolute hair tearing frustration over Xbox's naming conventions. And I can't say I blame him at all, but we don't have a date for the PS5. That is all. We know it will arrive this year. It's one of those classic American dates of holiday 2020. But what the hell is that going to mean? And that could give, depending on when it does land, maybe a month's head start to, to, to Xbox. Yeah, that's, and again, yeah, this, you know, tomorrow we're going to get so much in both that date as well as, like, they can't possibly hold out on us on the day oh after God. tomorrow as well. We have to get the details. So well, that's the other thing is Sony have staggered launches around the world before. So yeah. just because it's hitting the US, say, 10th of December, and that is a, uh, a date I've just plucked out of nowhere to yeah. be very, very clear here, that doesn't mean we're getting it then. Yep. I could totally see this because it, like, again, it's, there's an element there of, you know, the Japanese company, their focus is so typically to make sure they serve their home customers because they, you know, they are basically, you know, they run the show in Japan and then to make sure they serve America really well and Europe really well. Um, and, you know, I can't blame them for leaving this little island in the south of Asia um, with a, quite a small population by comparison <laughs> to go, yeah, they're going to have to wait a couple of months. Yeah. All right, but it will all be revealed, will be proven to be wildly wrong, wildly correct. Yep. Who knows? Tell me what I need to know about what happened with Apple last night. Yes. So I did indeed get up at uh, 2.48 this morning. Um, Oof, which I, even by my standard, you? oh, significantly. <laughs> I'm up at 4.20, so yeah, wow. wow. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, 3am event today. So um, we got new Apple Watch, we got new iPad, uh, new iPad 8th gen and a new iPad Air. And then the Apple One kind of bundle strategy, which I think is really cool, but I'll leave that till last. But um, 
the iPads were really interesting. iPad 8th Gen um, basically got some chip updates and stuff. iPad now, they've really firmly put just the one that is just called iPad. Um, that is like the entry-level price um, simple, like I think local pricing, it starts at 499 bucks. Uh, it is, but what's really interesting is they're emphasizing now with where the chips are at. Um, it has the A12 chip, which is basically just, you know, last year's, um, chip that was kind of in the, you know, the iPad pros and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, that, that is now by benchmarks, like, twice as fast as what what they refer to as the top-selling uh, Windows laptop on the market. Oh, wow. Which is just kind of nuts, right? And then they mention it's like six times faster than a Chromebook, if that's kind of the path you've been going. And I think, you know, three times faster than any Android tablet that you might be using. And this is their, like, bottom-end, entry-level iPad. Um, but... The kind of the real kind of selling point today was the iPad Air, which is using, um, like remember when the Air first came out, it was really just about the fact that it was super thin mm-hmm. compared to kind of the normal at the time chunkier sort of iPad. Um, iPad Air now really is being aimed with a very new design to sit really firmly in the gap between where you get your entry level iPad and where you would get an iPad Pro. It now is designed to look a lot like the iPad Pro with the kind of really kind of, you know, uh, kind of flat edge around it and then the whole sort of nice aluminium kind of vibe to it, uh, like the anodized aluminium. Hmm. And it's got like a nice green and a blue option and stuff like that now, which is pretty fancy. Um, but they've also, because, you know, with that design, they've basically got no more, um, Room on the screen to put the old Touch ID sort of button. Um, but this is the first device to actually get a Touch ID on the power button. And, like, there have been other Android phones and stuff I know that have kind of used, you know, the power button as a good spot to do a fingerprint reader. Yep. Um, but what was interesting is the fact that Apple's kind of moved so forcefully towards Face ID as the main unlock mechanism that it kind of seems like, like, I don't know, part of me is like, is this a clever response to the fact that we actually can't really use Face ID right now when we're all wearing masks all the time? And that Touch ID now has a pretty solid place back in the wow. reason to use our fingerprint. Um, yeah, as that also Maybe way to log in. that's really interesting. Maybe it is. Yeah. Um, but it has now the newest of the chips that are out there, which is A14. And so this is kind of like the next gen past even what's in the current iPad Pros. Um, and they were talk, they spent a lot of time talking about the fact that it is running on like the, a five nanometer chip process, which like Intel isn't even close to at the moment with its, um, CPUs. I think Intel's even still been struggling to get to seven nanometer processes. Um, so they were, but what, what really fascinated me was they spent a lot of time talking about the way in which that their chips have kind of reached this sort of level. And I felt like it's really starting to really plant that flag on the fact that these are the kinds of chips that are about to be launched into Macs and iMacs in the next few months. Um, And given that they talked a lot about how much faster these are, even in iPads compared to laptops, um, I think it kind of also speaks to the idea that these, these are currently being used without any 
fans to call them or anything mm. like that. When you put this into a laptop or put it into an iMac, you can then also put a fan on it and like turn it up um, and let it run faster. So there's kind of a real potential here that that they're going to, you know, when these kind of desktop style devices come out with these chips, that they could be like screaming fast compared to a lot of what else is on the market right now, which is kind of exciting stuff. It is really exciting, and it goes back to the conversation we've had before about when do we actually ditch the laptops? When is a tablet doing everything that we need? Uh, this, I mean, from your description, I, I'm thoroughly impressed here, really thoroughly yeah. impressed. Um, so that was all really interesting, and, like, there's a bunch of other cool stuff with the new iPad and stuff, but, you know, it's just that's the, that's the nature of these things, um, and it's, you know, we'll get excited about tech and stuff. But um, the new Apple Watch, the really sort of cool standout feature here is... Um, blood oxygen readings are now in uh, the latest Apple Watch wow. Series 6. So they kind of point out that, you know, now you basically have your heart rate monitoring. You've got your heart rate, like, uh, rhythm type sort of monitoring over, you know, over extended periods. You've got blood oxygen readings. Um, and, of course, it hasn't launched here in Australia yet, but in the US it's had ECG readings. Like, the device has it. They just haven't had the approvals from you know local regulations to be able to switch on the ECG reading stuff here in Australia yet but you know at some point hopefully should but but it's funny how you know this journey from the early days of the watch where they kind of weren't sure what it was going to be in a lot of respects you know lots of apps kind of put little cut down versions of apps on your wrist and it was all quite awkward and now it's just sort of become so laser focused on this idea that it really is this awesome fitness tracking device um, and having that sort of next level of blood oxygen readings means you can build such a good picture of somebody's overall fitness and health profile. Um, and then alongside that, they've launched Fitness Plus, which is going to come out in the next few months. And it's basically like aerobics Oz style available on demand <laughs> anywhere you like. Um, yoga, strength training, high intensity interval training, um, your core exercises, whatever you want it to do, you can kind of just sit down, whether it, whether you've only got your iPhone in front of you or like you're at home with Apple TV. It's that idea of you can just send that to any screen and then it combines with the you know, fitness data off your wrist to kind of show you on screen your real time heart rate and things like that to kind of mm. motivate you to, you know, keep the tempo up, all this kind of just clever stuff. And that's going to basically be a new subscription service. Um, that, yeah, that someone who wants to kind of just keep getting more and more out of that fitness side of uh, Apple Watch can, yeah, dive in on. All right, really, really quickly, what about the Apple Watch SE? Yeah, so SE is basically, yeah, they do the SE thing in the phones now and then. Mm -hmm. This is kind of like the reset for what will be the new baseline next year. They've still kept the Series 3 available as an entry point for like 300 bucks. Um, so the new SE is like two, uh, 429, I think it is. Um, and the basic idea there is it's kind of like the Series 4 device, except they have given it the guts of last year's devices. So it's that idea of going, look, we've kind of built a nice new SE entry point that should make a lot of people really happy. Um, it doesn't have to have the latest bells and whistles, but it's got a lot of them. And for the next few years, that will, will probably just kind of steadily stay in the market, go down in price and sort of keep making it easier to sort of feed people in on an entry level. 
And the big one that people have been raving about is Apple One. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mentioned the Fitness Plus thing that kind of feeds straight into this whole Apple One strategy now where you basically can pay for all of your Apple subscriptions through a single plan now. And so that includes iCloud if you use that for your, um, you know, cloud storage. Um, it includes Apple Music, Apple TV Plus, which, you know, there's not that much <laughs> on. So you wouldn't want to necessarily be paying for that all by itself all the time, but throwing that in a bundle makes a lot of sense. Uh, you get Apple News Plus if you kind of like using the Apple News app to be able to read all your latest news and things. Um, Apple Arcade, the game service that they do with kind of hundreds of uh, Apple apps that have no in-app purchases and all that kind of thing, sort of to make that a nice kind of space for getting games without fuss. Um, and what else? The six things in that package. Um, music, TV, news, arcade, iCloud and Fitness Plus. Yep, that's the lot. Um, so you can get that on like an entry sort of a plan for an individual for about twenty bucks, through to about forty bucks for a for basically a premium plan that has everything in it and like two terabytes of cloud storage, and you know shareable with six members of your family, um, and also um, uh, there's some other part of it. But yeah. It's it's a pretty good deal. I think you save about 30 bucks a month if you went for that sort of maximum level of the plan. And if you do kind of share, like I already share iCloud storage with sort of everyone in my family. And so it's kind of, I'm already paying like about, I think, 25 or so a month for just Apple Arcade and iCloud. We don't use Apple Music at the moment because we did we kind of stuck with Spotify. But now this is like, oh, okay, we will instantly save money if we switch over to a family plan for Apple Music instead of spending money on Spotify. So. I was going to say, it's it's another really smart strategy, but it has to have companies like Spotify on notice. They have to be worried about this. And Spotify has, in fact, already filed uh, a legal action to basically say, um, or yeah, some kind of a letter to you know, wherever they've already been making their complaints. They're like going, here's Apple doing uh, like an evil thing that's going to uh, ruin our business um, you know, Apple's already kind of responded saying, you know, Amazon uh, does their prime service and that's available through Apple devices. Like, you know, they're like, there's bundled services from our competitors already in the market. So it's not like they are being anti-competitive when you could go and get, you know, a prime video bundle that comes with music and comes with, you know, delivery and all that kind of stuff. So, they, you know, but that's it. The arguments are already in place for the fact that that is a huge threat to Spotify. It is just wild that 20 years ago, Microsoft had to appear in front of Congress and apologise for bundling a browser with Windows. And yet right. here we are now doing this. Yeah. And look, an interesting kind of thing that follows on from our recent discussions about sort of a lot of the App Store problems that uh, Apple was having and getting carried away with kind of forcing people to push their payments through. Um, over the weekend, they actually released kind of a big update to a lot of those policies and that they have kind of clarified and essentially stepped back from a number of those areas that they were trying to force developers to, uh, you know, to put payments through. Um, and a lot of devs kind of feel a lot happier about the way that those changes have come through. Still not ideal for 
Xbox with the whole X Cloud kind of offering. Mm. They basically said that if you want to offer like a cloud service for gaming like that, you have to also offer every individual game through the <laughs> App Store as well. And yeah, Microsoft's like, yeah, that's not, we, we're not going to do that. <laughs> no. And why would they? Absolutely. Yeah. Why would they? It's ridiculous. All right. Yeah. So lots of interesting stuff coming out overnight. We know yep. PlayStation's tomorrow. Do you want to, have you got a tip for me? I've, I've got a, I've got less of a tip and more of a really weird factoid. So if you have an actual tip, hit me. No, I, I don't. Here, I actually, I, I have a very special message for you mm. um, from a certified young person. Oh, hit me. Yo, what up, dudes? Paul Rudd here, actor and certified young person. A few days ago, I was talking on the iPhone with my homie, Governor Cuomo, and he's just going off about how us millennials need to wear masks because, get this, apparently a lot of COVID is transmitted by us millennials. No cap. <laughs> so Cuomo's asked me, he's like, Paul, you got to help. What are you, like 26? And I didn't correct him. I said, Fam. <laughs> so it's just, I'll, I'll put the link up. It is glorious. Uh, Paul Rudd helping to remind people to wear their masks um, in this just hilarious Twitter video. <laughs> Everyone has been raving about it, and I saw a very cruel description of it. Um, of course, you know, the joke has been the whole hello, fellow young people. Um, yeah. Someone pointed out that Steve Buscemi has um, looked 51 since he was 26, and at 51, Paul Rudd could well pass for a 26-year-old. Yeah. So, yeah, very, very cruel <laughs> stuff. Here's the weirdest thing I've heard in a long time. Did you know your house key could be hacked? Hacked. Hacked. This is coming out of National University of Singapore, and they've done something called Spy Key. Clever. Love it. It's the weirdest little bit of social engineering I've ever seen. What they actually can do is record the sound of you using your key, and from that, build a pretty good model of what it probably looks like based on the sounds of it hitting the tumblers and then can 3D print a version of it. I love this. this oh, my is God. wild to me, like absolutely wild. You've got to be close. It's got to be a few centimetres away. But they've actually said you don't need specialised equipment. They found that you could do it on a smartphone. So that is really proprietary really... software. The team strips out the noise, just calculates the distance between the edge and the ridge and the key and the binding depth and all that kind of stuff. They could apparently run some really clever more work on that. And I'm just trying to remember this from a bit over 300,000 possible options based on the sound. They could narrow that down to three. So three. Three keys that had a good chance of opening your front door. That is, like, I love this. But, but, I mean, right, like, I'm not planning on going and trying to hack people's keys. Absolutely but not. But when you first mentioned it, I'm like, oh, like, is it one of those, you know, the things you've seen into where they kind of take an imprint of your key or something like this? It's like, oh, my God, like, it's an audio hack. Yeah. This is, this is like, up there with the whole thing in um, Cryptonomicon and, like, someone getting their, uh, you know, getting hacked by monitoring the, the radiation mm -hmm. from their screen through Van a wall. like freaking. And I just realised this isn't hacking. This is freaking. This is actual freaking. Yes. That is, t well, it's freaking brilliant. That's what it is. It's so clever. So, yeah, uh, apparently it's very, <laughs> what they've suggested is you can actually uh, jam it, for want of a better way, just turn your key really fast. Don't give the recording time to get a good sound. Yeah. 
Yep. Okay. Yep. Sure. If, that's if, it. If you're really yeah, worried about a, it. Like a good life tip for the paranoid out there. <laughs> start turning your key a lot faster than you have been. <laughs> if it's not enough to worry about if if you remembered to lock the door or not for those kinds of people. Now it's... <laughs> Who's got a camera? Who's got a microphone near my key while I'm locking the door? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Thank you, Nick, so much. Where can people find your stuff no, if they're hanging out? Just find me on Twitter uh, if you want to see me ranting about whatever's bothering me or the fact that my co-workers didn't notice that I had a haircut for the first time since February 2019. Um, I'm at dr underscore nic. But, of course, you can catch me. I host The Breakfast Show on ABC Western Plains. You can find that using the ABC Listen app. Brilliant. I am at Seamus on Twitter. You can also find me via at Biteside. And indeed, Biteside is also at The Biteside on Instagram. But guess what? We've also got a bunch of new people hanging out on Biteside. So go and check out Biteside.com. We've got daily writing going on again over there, which has been really, really fun. We've got Hope Corrigan and Chris Button are our two daily news writers. And then Alice Clark is also writing for us as a weekly columnist, and it's been bloody fun actually having some people to hang out with. Um, we've got sort of some, you know, there's just a whole bunch of kind of fun stories that have already gone up over the last few days. Um, Fall Guys, which is like super popular right now, um, they have just basically revealed that they were running this clever Cheetah Island system um, so that if they ha- caught people cheating, they would drop them all into a world together so that they would <laughs> only play with other cheaters. Always a classic of the genre. Um, today we learned vinyl records have actually beat CDs for the first time since yes. the 1980s in sales and like smashed them, not just slightly beat them. Um, heaps of cool stuff, lots of stories, and it's just great to kind of have that whole writing heaps of stories vibe going on on the site and, of course, all the other podcasts as well. But keep up with all of that across both social and the web now as well and you can go and get the newsletter of course there's so many bite side things going on i'm so excited i'm <laughs> sammy singing um ask at bitesidecom to email us and we will catch you again real soon 